This two-part episode of Conversations from the Classroom features English teacher Joel Rolston from the Presentation Secondary School in Wexford. This second part of the conversation focuses on feedback strategies, mixed ability teaching and reflecting on junior cycle English. What I'd like to ask you about now on that vein of empowering students is what kind of feedback strategies have you found effective with your students? Are you an advocate of comment only marking or do you use digital methods or what have you found empowers and enables your students to get to where they need to be really? Yeah, this this is a very moving construct for me, the whole area of feedback. And I think if COVID has crystallized anything, it's got us to focus in a little bit more on that, on the quality of how we're delivering feedback and, and students' experience of what feedback is. For me, feedback is probably the most key part of the learning experience. It's something that, again, has been crystallized by COVID in a lot of respects. Had you asked me that question back in 2014-15, I probably would have had a very different answer to you what feedback was. I think as English teachers, we've all been in that situation, particularly if we've had leaving cert groups you give your PCLM marking scheme and, and the grades and you might write a, an essay yourself of feedback and they'll have a quick glance at what the final mark was and there it goes into the folder never to be seen again. <laughs> We've all been there. So if feedback is creating more work for the teacher rather than creating work for the student, there's an issue there that has to be addressed. And that's definitely something I think I've tried to focus in a lot more on over the last number of years. I've brought through a number of different junior cycle groups now. I use a digital portfolio platform called Seesaw. So feedback for me has changed and the nature of how I've given it has changed over the years. And I do tend to experiment quite a lot with how I've been given feedback. So yes, I have used comment marking. I do find that the oral feedback, the recorded oral feedback for the personalized approach can work wonders. I could say something in 30 seconds to a minute that might have a more powerful impact than me writing maybe two pages of, of feedback to students where they just go, or oh, yeah, whatever. I think with recorded oral feedback, it's there for them to access whenever they need to, if they're coming back to a unit of learning again. So I'm, I very much tailor oral feedback in a very deliberate way. I would definitely emphasize more so what they're doing well. And I prioritize one key area that they need to prioritize the next time they're revisiting that particular unit or that particular area of work in terms of their writing or developing their writing. So definitely try to always lead with the positives as opposed to you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. And I think the power of the voice, the personal voice that, you know, the teacher is talking to me, myself, is much more powerful than maybe me standing up at the top of the classroom saying, OK, you're not doing this right. We need to address this. So CISO has allowed me to do that. And if I have a group in third year, they're looking back on their whole network of work that they've done for me since the start of first year and all the feedback I've given them personalized. And again, I have two kids under the age of three. It's not always possible to go with personalized feedback all the time. I have also used whole class feedback as well. So I choose my moments when the feedback has to be the most effective. 
So I tend to build momentum a little bit. If we're building to a critical point in terms of their writing, in terms of their engagement with texts or engagement with the different assessment forms or engaging with the CBA process, I will definitely make it my business to individualize the feedback. But if it's in the earlier stages and we're doing our drafting and our redrafting, home class feedback works wonders there in terms of the students themselves taking a little bit more ownership in a generalized sense. And then you're building that momentum and then you're coming to me with the improvements that you've tried to make in your draft. And then I can hit you with the individual personalized feedback in terms of when you get that final draft of your work or you get that final question or whatever it may be. So it's a mixture of whole class, mixture of individualized because feedback has to move the learnings. That's my rationale to it now. And I think students will definitely relate to the personalized approach when it's decided upon, because it's not possible to be correcting drafts and drafts of work, particularly like myself, if you've got five or six different year groups of English, and we know as English teachers, the conveyor belt of corrections can never end. You give back first year stuff, you're correcting second year, third year stuff. It's not always possible. So feedback has to be a two-way communication for me. And that's where I'm at with feedback at the moment. I give student feedback then they have to give me some feedback on that feedback. We have to start the communication. So I'm using a template or a platform called Quicker Feedback. So basically it's where a student will give me up a piece of work. So it could be an extended piece of writing, could be something to do with their CBA2 process, something that's meaningful. Okay, so it's not done all the time. I then go onto this website, Quicker Feedback. So I've been using it for a couple of years at Junior Cycle and even Search, indeed. I attach a QR code to their work and that has a recording of me giving feedback to them when they scan that to their phone and again it shows you the benefit of doing this during covid as well it kept that kind of connection going between teacher and students the student can then give me feedback on what they've just heard so then i i won't give i won't give the grades when i give the feedback no grades so it's just the comment this is the comment go back address what you need to address and then give it back to me and then we can talk about if they want to get into the specifics of the grading and stuff like that. But the feedback has to feed the learning. What are they getting from doing the experience? So I need the feedback to be meaningful for them, but they need to get that meaning from that feedback. I can't be creating work on myself for the sake of it. So I'm very conscious that I choose the moments now. So sometimes I'll just say, listen, I'm going to go whole class on this. I'm going to collate what I'm seeing here. And I'm going to present this back to the students. Sometimes I might take little pictures of samples of work and I might project it up to, okay, this was what was done. This is what I think could need to be improved. So the students are still learning, but they're learning from each other as a group dynamic. And again, I think that aids that sense of belonging to the class as well, that they are actually all learning from each other. But that can only be achieved. Again, I keep going back to the key denominator of first year being that year where you build that foundation that they're getting used to that sense of critiquing their work and to separate the feedback that it's not personal feedback on you as an individual person. It's based on the work that you're producing there and then. So definitely for me, that's where I'm at with feedback at the moment. Feedback has to move the learning forward, but I do think it has to be a two-way communication between teacher and student in order for that learning to be moved forward. Otherwise, I think we as teachers will end up just getting more frustrated that we're spending all this time 
trying to provide them with different forms of feedback, whether that be digital or written or whatever it may be. But then nothing happens. You just got the brick wall. Yeah, thanks. What, well, what grade did I get? So moving away from me, from the focus on the grade to the focus on the feedback, it's an ongoing process. That's not something, that's a cultural shift. That's a wider issue in second level education as a whole, I think, that they're focusing on, well, what are actually are you learning here? In first year, the students who I have in first year know that I don't give grades on their work that everything is common space. So again, that could be recorded audio, that could be whole class, that could be personalized when I choose the moments. It's unusual for them, but it works because the feedback I get from them on the feedback, I can see the improvements that are made as well. I can see in that two-way communication that we're establishing with each other, I can see that they are taking meaningful stuff from that feedback so i can see that my work that i put into it is being rewarded too but ultimately they're the ones who are going to benefit from this long term when they build on that momentum going forward listen we all know as we get into third year and as we get into sixth year whatever it may be we're in the system where sometimes yeah there has to be a focus on specific grades but i don't let it dominate the three years of junior cycle I think it's very important just to build down the foundations first in first year, get them into analyzing and self-reflecting on their learning. And that's where the two-way communication on the feedback is very important for me. Would you have any specific advice that you would give other departments who are interested in adopting a comment-only marking approach? My own practical experience, trial and error. I, I always go with the buddy system. Is there anybody else in the department willing to do this with me? So I think as a department, if you have conversations about comment-only marking, you have to be clear about what the purpose and rationale of it. And I think that comes back into your approach to planning as well, and that you will have particular moments in those summative assessment moments, in those formative assessment moments where this is most appropriate to do. But don't be afraid to trial and error it. This wasn't a perfect system when I introduced it first for myself. I got a few other members in my department to, to play around this with me. So two teachers might go with first year, another two might trial it with third year, but build up the experience of it gradually, not go all out, okay, this year we're all going to do comment only market. That's not going to work. So slow and steady, and you'll find that a more concerted focus and effort will bring more rewards and it will bring you into different conversations then with your colleagues about the nature of feedback as well. Because if I think if there's one thing that COVID has got us to do over the last two years or so is to get us to all reflect on what the purpose of learning is. Where do we want to bring our students on by the end of three years of junior cycle or ultimately by the end of their five or six years in secondary school? If I went back a number of years when I first started trying this, Perhaps I would have been a little bit more overt in explaining to parents as to why they weren't seeing grades on particular moments. They would say, oh, this chap is just having a glance at this. He's not even correcting him. So I definitely would try and get the parents aboard as to explain that. And again, I think when I sat down with them at parent-teacher meetings or having conversations with them, they completely understood where I was coming from. It's a long journey over the three years. It's a long educational journey. And I just don't want their initial experiences of English in first year to be completely dominated by I'm getting a higher merit or a distinction or a merit. 
I don't want that. I want them to focus on their exposure to good quality text and good quality learning experiences and a good interaction in terms of their overall understanding of what a text is. I think uh, that's some really sage advice for anybody considering going towards Comptony marking. And it's always lovely to have the retrospective in hindsight 2020, isn't it? Incredibly valuable to have a teacher who has tried and tested something, share their experience. So thank you for that, Joe. Do you have a mixture of digital and hard copy for the collection of texts or what does the collection of texts look like in your classroom? Yes, it's a mixture of the of digital and hard copy and always has been for a number of years. Uh, that was even pre-COVID. Again, using a platform like Seesaw initially, um, I've been using Seesaw maybe for five or six years now, so I'm fairly well used to it. The students would have a particular subfolder within our, our class feeds on CBA1 and CBA2. And again, I like, I, can, I suppose it's an interesting one because we automatically think of the collection of texts, the CBA2, we think, oh yeah, it's a folder and you've got your drafts and you've got your redrafts and you've got your feedback all in one. And that has its place. I'm not dissing that at all. And I actually do use that because I do think the students themselves do like to have a physical interaction with what they have been creating in the classroom on an ongoing basis over second year and third year. And that definitely has its place. But because I, again, have been grounding this with the students from first year, that their awareness of text is not just the physical creation, writing it down on a page, that the understanding of text comes in different forms and different formats. Like I've had students create oral texts, narration texts, and they might speak over, they might do a commentary. One of my students from the last time we were doing CBA2 did a commentary on a, on a Wexford hurling match, which was quite remarkable, really. And there it was, there nice and safe in the digital portfolio and therefore them to, to stay for themselves. So I think that blend of exposure between marrying both the physical examples of work with the digital works wonders for me. But again, vast majority of students still like to have the physical examples of work in the classroom there. And they do take pride in having that too. I think that the, the, both has its merit. So to move a little bit away from the uh, CBAs and our, our feedback and assessment there, I would like to ask you a little bit about how you approach or how you navigate mixed ability teaching. Have you any students following the level two learner program in your class? No, no students following the, the level two learning program, no. But in terms, we would have mixed ability from first year right up to third year. No streaming or anything like that. And that's, to be honest with you, that's the way we like us. We like to have that diversity of students within the classroom. And again, I, I have students, many students who have additional educational needs in the classroom as well. But I, I do think, because I do try to emphasize dialogic teaching, right from the start of first year to build this culture of classroom talk. I go back to that phrase again, that inclusion is having a voice, but belonging is having that voice heard. And I do think in my rationale to making sure that everybody's included is that they all feel that their voice is being heard. And again, whether that's developing the literal student voice in tasks that we're doing in the class in terms of choosing text that they feel is reflective of what they want to do themselves. I think that's very important, but very much, very much there's never a focus in our classroom on higher level, ordinary level. I've never really had those kind of critical conversations in second year or third year. For me, it's all about the day-to-day -day interaction 
with the English language and with English literature. Obviously, you have to come to a point in, in the junior cycle journey where the bread and butter stuff has to be looked at. But again, almost like my rationale to the, the kind of focus on the grades from first year onwards, I just don't want the students who maybe have those additional leads, I don't want that being very apparent for them in the classroom. I want them to enjoy the learning and interact with the text and interact with their learning as much as they possibly can. And again, I can I think that comes back to the importance of choosing those moments where you can personalize feedback to students when they need it and knowing the right moment to do that in. But very much because I, I do tend to see first year as that very important foundational year where I have to make and make it clear that I want everybody to be brought together on this, that we're all on this. You're all going to be sitting beside each other in this English classroom for the next three years. We're lucky enough in our school that knowing when we have a group at the start of first year, we know that we're going to bring them right up until the end of third year. And continuity is important. And continuity of learning is important because you build up that kind of professional rapport with the students. And it's funny because I have a first year group at the moment and they love to talk, which is a great thing in a COVID classroom with face masks and so on. I'm probably speaking to the, <laughs> the converted here, but English teachers will know when you get a first year group and they are talkative, probably 80% of what they're talking about has no relevance to what you're actually doing. <laughs> but I actually do celebrate that. I would never cut a student off mid-flow. If they want to say something, I think it's very important that they are heard saying it. And that confidence that they know they're coming into a classroom where they can express themselves I think that is critical. I think that is absolutely critical. And it's those foundation stones that you build that culture of classroom talk and that culture of learning that you try to develop then when you get into the business end of the coursework in second year and third year. But again, having that rooted in developing their own voice, whether that again is in a general sense or in a specific sense when you're doing a particular unit of learning would be crucial for me. So a moment of reflection now would be really nice as we come to the end of our conversation. If you could go back and chat to yourself at the start of Junior Cycle English Reform, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Be patient. I don't think I was patient enough with myself at the very start of the process because everything was new. And obviously, given the, the situation at the time, English being the first of the subjects being or specifications being rolled out, and obviously with the, issue, the whole issue with the industrial action and so on, it was difficult to interact with it formally because we weren't getting that kind of professional support at the time. So I think I was like the proverbial greyhound out of the traps, <laughs> trying to come up with these incredibly authentic, unbelievable world-class, first-class honours plans for this is what they're going to do all the way up until the end of third year the wiser fox now a number of years on looking back saying what in the name of goodness were you at so definitely be patient again as a, a learning environment is not created in a plan a, a, in the summer before you get a first year group it's organic and it should be a live plan and it should be adaptable to change. And a great thing, a great conversation I had with a more senior teacher in my department a number of weeks ago about junior cycle English was very, it was very salient. I think don't be afraid to make mistakes. I have made mistakes. I've covered the units of learning that did not work. And I'm looking back on it now with the benefit of heights. I said, what was I thinking? I suppose the beauty of the course gives you that scope to do that that 
they're living plans and they're not fixed, stuck in an English folder in your workroom, in your school forevermore. That when the new teachers joining your department come in, there's the plan up there, go and access it. That this is something that's a shared space for us all to bring our own individuality to us. But we're all in agreement in terms of where we want to get our students to by the end of first year, by the end of second year, and certainly by the end of third year. So definitely be patient and don't be afraid to experiment and don't be afraid to make mistakes because you will make mistakes. Certain things won't work for you, but don't be beating yourself up. We try to instill that within our students. So we have to practice what we preach too. Sometimes I have come out and said, listen, I've told students right in front of them, okay, this isn't working. What's not working here? I don't think this is, what do you think? What can we do to change this up or change focus? And you often find that the students will tell you whether it's not working or not, straight out. You'll know that, the teachers know that. So definitely patience is a virtue, not a vice. Don't go like the greyhound out of the proverbial traps. That's something I will say to any kind of teacher who's coming fresh out of college and working with me or whatever in the, new, in, in the department. We've had a, quite a number of crossover in our staff over the last number of years. Yes, I can sit down with them and I can show them what we're doing at the moment, but I said, this could change next week. We might be making tweaks and changes on this. Bring your own individuality to it. I might prefer a certain text or my group might prefer a certain text at a particular moment. Your, your group are completely different from mine. So you bring that individuality. And that's, I think, the lovely nature of the, the, the focus on the specification is that the learning outcomes are making explicit what we have been implicitly doing all along as English teachers and what we do every day. So we try not to see the learning outcomes as being very prescriptive show the freedom within the learning outcomes. I think that's a lovely way to, to think about it, that. So I come to my final question for you today, Joe. What have you gained personally from Junior Cycle English since 2014? And what do you think your students have gained? I think when I'm talking about the students, I'm probably talking about myself in terms of my own experiences too. When I'm, I've brought a number of different groups through now over the years. I've gone right back to the first group in 2017. And I think I've learned something every year with every group that I've brought through. But two kind of things stand out for me primarily. One is the development of their voice. I was really so happy to see the emphasis on developing the oracy skills. And that's something that's anchored right throughout the three years. Obviously crystallized in a moment like the CBA1 process, but it, it filters out into all aspects of the three years. So I, I feel I do have, in my own experience, I've been brought through a number, I feel I do have an much more confident students by the end of the three years. And a lot of that is fed into, which leads on to my second positive, would be the broader understanding of what a text is. Because when I was a student myself, a text was a novel. Text was a poem. That's what a text was. Students now are engaging with so many different forms of text, whether that be a visual prompt, whether that be a physical prompt in the classroom, whether that be a novel or a poem or a physical prop that you might bring into the classroom. There's lots of different ways to understand what a text is and how a text works and in what context a text can invariably lead into an understanding of another text and how interconnected our understanding of language and literature works. And I think that's the beauty of the specification. You have this lovely interchange in the learning outcomes between language and literature and the nature of the relationship between both. 
now you have this broader focus on the learning experience in terms of developing their actual voice in the classroom and obviously developing their listening skills as well. That is one thing I think that has also stood the test of time over the three years is that because there's such an emphasis on classroom talk and listening to each other, it stands to them by the end of the three years that, okay, I have a much broader understanding of what a text is. Studying is something very simple as studying a junior cycle. Like, I just think that is such a welcome development because you do that. We all have been in situations in fifth and sixth year where you're doing your film as comparative study. And there's no grounding in any kind of film language whatsoever. This is something I'm doing now in first year. It, so that shows you the scope that's available there for teachers to look and relook at those learning objectives as not something that is hanging over you, saying that you must do this like a checklist of things, to bring, again, your own individuality to it. And the students themselves can bring their sense of individuality as well. But ultimately, do I have more confident students by the end of three years? I absolutely do. And in turn, I'm more confident then that they're better prepared for exposure to text at the next stage of their learning. And I think that is a very beneficial and worthwhile journey to go on over the three years. That I don't want my students, and I say this to my students very regularly in, this, in the class, I don't want your experience of English being fixated on a two-hour final assessment at the end of third year. You're overall looking back on the three years experience and your exposure to all this wide variety of different learning experiences that you've had over that time, that's ultimately what's going to stand to you. The focus now with Junior Cycle English is on the learning experience over the three years. And that's ultimately a very freeing moment for a teacher to realize that I just want my students to be exposed to as many different learning experiences as possible. Let that passion still guide you and use those learning objectives as guidelines and signposts to direct you in what direction you want to go with each group that you have. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Let passion guide you in your English classroom. Thank you so much for your time today, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and we'll hopefully talk to you again at another stage. Thank you for listening to this episode. To find out more and to sign up to our mailing list, please visit jct.ie forward slash English. You can also follow us on Twitter for all the latest news and supports at JCT English.